I am a dangerous woman. The sharp ridges of clear blue windows motion to me from the airport's second floor. Edges dance in the foothills of the Sandias behind security guards who wave me into their gun catcher machine. I am a dangerous woman. When the machine buzzes, they say to take off my belt and I remove it so easy that it catches the glance of a man standing nearby. Maybe that is the deadly weapon that has the machine singing. I am a dangerous woman, but the weapon is not visible. Security will never find it. They can't hear the clicking of the gun inside my head. From How We Became Human by Joy Norjo. Children gather around, come sit by the cannon fire. Come and join the conversation. Children gather around, if written works are your desire. Come and sit beside the flame of the cannon fire. We're talking about Joy Harjo. I am thrilled because she is amazing. Caitlin and I saw her perform when we were on campus. I had been introduced to her a year prior in my Woman of Color and Feminism class. I had never heard of her. I actually heard about this performance that we went to because when I was in college, I worked for I'm not going to say, again, I'm not going to say where we are, but where our college campus was, was very close to a Eastern Native population and their reservation. And so I worked for the university's Office of American Indian Outreach, which is the name of the office. We always just talked about it. We always just called it the Native Office because um, (laughs) nobody wanted to use those words. American Indian? American Indian to describe it. We don't like that. No. (laughs) Uh, so I was helping put together the publicity for this event, and so I heard about her, and then I saw some of her, and I was like, I need to see this woman live, and then I knew that Zoe was really a big fan of hers as well, and so we went to go see her live, and it was amazing. Um, she stood on stage, filled up an entire auditorium, she was wearing a very simple outfit, she had one little end table by her, she had a flute a tablet and a microphone and the entire place for like an hour and a half was silent (laughs) like silent because everybody could not look away from this person as she completely owned the space she didn't shout she didn't she wasn't passionate in that way in that outwardly way she didn't preach like you would hear people do for Moral Mondays, like they do for I've the poor uh, right, I've people's seen, campaign. I've seen that work. I've seen people, like preachers, mm-hmm. for instance, keep an audience very, very quiet because of the message that they're preaching. Not necessarily that I believe in that message, but I've seen that at work. But it always sounds like what you're saying, the very passionate, loud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, would, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do that, what you're describing. We will hopefully. What I want to do is, I want to have a link on the website when we do when to a video. Yeah, to a video of her um, saying "Fear, I release you," because that was my first introduction to her. It was a, a slam event, and she just is so musical. She just sings, but she doesn't like. It's not like 
pop singers. It's not like bluegrass. It's just like her way of talking is so musical in and of itself. And the way that she lifts and lowers her tone isn't like a song, but it's like a song. And it is just one of the most unique spiritual experiences. And she came to perform on our our campus, I think right after she won one of the most prestigious awards, in my opinion. Um, She won the Ruth Lilly Prize in Poetry in 2017. And that was given to her because of her lifetime work as a poet, as a musician, as an activist. For the layman listening to us, because I haven't been doing my job recently, I've just been including myself in the conversation without asking questions, what is that prize? So it's a prize that's given to um, a lifelong poet. That is the door. That's your door. Who the f- Oh, more bloopers. <laughs> <laughs> Elevator music. We don't like, I mean, I don't like strangers. You don't like strangers. I don't dislike them. I just. I'm definitely putting elevator music in here. (laughs) Just the instrumental version of the theme song over and over again? No. Like elevator music. Hi. Okay, so. Where were we? Uh, the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize okay. is awarded to an esteemed poet that has done lifelong and incredible work. It's kind of through the um, Poetry Foundation, which is an organization that was started by a woman in Chicago, Illinois. It's where we get a lot of our information on poem- poets, all of their information for like how many books they have out. Uh, an example, excerpts of their poems, awards that they've won, like uh, the Poetry Foundation is a is a re- refutable, not refutable is a, is a good source. Okay. For all of that information and, and it's not Lilly, irrefutable either. Right. right. <laughs> but it's a good source. It's a good okay. source. Much better than Wikipedia. It's more official. Yeah. And they include um, excerpts that either the poets have talked about or someone interviewing them or critics in the bio. So it's a little bit biased, but it's biased in a positive way. Interesting. But I was very happy to see that they recognized her with the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize because Ruth Lilly was um, an incredible woman. I'm trying to find out. Uh, more about her. So uh, the Ruth Lilly Poetry Prize gives the award awardee, the person who was awarded it, $100,000. Wow. And is one of the most prestigious awards given to American poets because of who Ruth Lilly was. I might start a I might start writing poetry. Um, <laughs> okay, okay, if you wanna if you wanna write poetry to make money, then you are going in the wrong <laughs> direction. <laughs> what they also do is they have a Ruth Lilly and Dorothy Sargent Rosenberg poetry fellowship, which I've applied to twice now. It's only available for poets between ages of 20 and 30 who are starting out. Interesting. And then um, Ruth Lilly is basically if you have proven yourself to the world of poetry to uh. be deemed worthy, then you, you're given it. And it's so awesome to me to see someone who 
is uh, Muskogee get that award yeah. in America um, for owning her identity and writing about a lot of these struggles that she's been through because of her intersections. That's I was kind of hoping that it wasn't a just for Native Americans award. No. Because, like, that, uh, while that is a good thing to have, I also just... If you watch One Day at a Time, there's this yes. episode where the girl in it, the the new One Day at a Time, where the 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 uh, the daughter in it gets very upset because she's basically awarded a spot on a team on a debate team because she's a woman of color, and she does not like that. And there's just this whole argument that I really haven't chosen a side in this argument because on the one hand it's a great thing, on the other hand it. I don't want to be recognized just for being a woman of color kind of argument. And I can understand both sides of the argument. So I was hoping that it wasn't just a person of color award. No. She has gotten awards for that. Um, A lot of her other awards. Before we go into who she was, I do want to give credit. She won the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Native Writers Circle of the Americas. She's won the Josephine Miles Poetry Award, the Wallace Stevens Award from the Academy of American Poets, the William Carlos Williams Award from the Poetry Society of America, and the American Indian Distinguished Achievement in the Arts Award. So she's won those too. She's she's won won those as well. And um, it just makes me so happy to see someone who I still should have learned about in high school because she is accessible to high schoolers her poetry is not adult and that's pretty straightforward it's very straightforward it's very imagist in the way that she connects to nature and how she connects to nature but it's also it talks about universal experiences of marginalized people in a way and gives them a voice and gives them reclamation in a way that is not all is not ever seen in in academia and I, I learned about her when I was a junior in college, you know, and despite all of all of her work and despite how much she's written, she's pretty incredible with how much work she's put out in the world. Um, she's always busy <laughs> on top of publishing books, on top of releasing albums, on top of touring with bands, on top of... Touring with bands? Yeah, she has two bands that she's a part of. She how was also she... a teacher. How many hours in a, a day mother. does she have? She has so, time magic. Evidently. Yeah. She is a time lord. Yes. Oh my goodness. Please. Um, or has a, a time turner, you know. Yeah. She, something like that. She's uh, been a faculty, like full-time, part-time um, at universities. She's been a mom. Um, she is a mom. She is a mom. I mean, you can't have been a mom. You are a mom. Once you're a mom, you're a mom. Well, yeah. if you're a good mom. Once you're a mom, you're a mom. <laughs> Um, so what she's done is absolutely, absolutely incredible, and I'm so glad that we're talking about someone who has been recognized at least a little bit by, um, other esteemed places, but she's not elitist at all, despite the people that have recognized her kind of filling that elitism bracket. I feel like what we're blasting in this podcast, those types are more... (laughs) what you see in the elitism than you do pretty much any other type. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, her two bands, she, I think, I guess, joined or started Poetic Justice, which was her first band, which 
choice. So choice by name, title. Uh, absolutely adore it. And uh, the one that she's touring with currently is Aerodynamics. So check out her music as uh, well as her poetry. And can you find it like on Spotify? Is I don't know if it, you can find it on Spotify. You can find her albums on YouTube. You can find okay, them. Okay, so like, it's available somewhere. Yeah. You can probably find it free. on Spotify. If you can yeah. find Alicia Joe Ravens on Spotify, you can probably find Joe yeah. Joe on Spotify. If you can find us on Spotify, you can probably find <laughs> Honestly. <her on> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I follow her on Twitter. <laughs> if, if you can find her on Spotify, we'll link to it in the show notes. And then her albums, just to quickly go over that, because we won't be talking as much about her music as we will. Oh my goodness, you absolutely destroyed that knitting needle. Look. <laughs> look. Also, just like this probably won't go in, but you can find her on Spotify. She's on Spotify. Okay, just look, <laughs> Zoe. I. She actually has uh, the the poem that G read when they opened the episode. That's on Spotify. Cool. A lot of her poems are on Spotify. Um, going back to the episode, her albums are "Letter from the End of the Twentieth Century" that came out in 1997. Native Joy for Real in 2004, Winding Through the Milky Way, 2008, She Had She Some Horses, um, which I think kind of goes in with her poem, She Had Some Horses. She Had Some Horses is a poetry book that was originally published in 1983, but reissued in 2008, so I think She Had She Some Horses, the album came out around then, and then her latest album is Red Dreams. A Trail Beyond Tears, very poetic in terms of a genocide that America lived through and won't acknowledge. I, every single time you say something and my face does that thing, <laughs> I wish that this was a visual medium <laughs> because our listeners would get a kick out of the faces I make as well as the sounds that I make, but like, just, the my reactions. face just turned towards <laughs> Zoe very slowly and, and was, was like, like, what the yes. heck? <laughs> Um, and then she, on top of performing music, on top of performing poetry, she also performs dramatically. Her two performances that she's working on are Wings of Night Sky, Wings of Morning Light. She's been performing that since 2009. And she's working on a new uh, dramatic performance of We Were There When Jazz Was Invented. Um, so that has not become public yet, but it is in the works enough to come out with the title. And I'm very excited she's releasing a new book of works later this year. So I just kind of ran through a lot of titles by titles and awards that she's won just to really show that, like, you need to pay attention to this person. It's not just that she's uh, incredible because of her identity. She's incredible because of how she voices her struggles and how she gives hope to entire generations of young people that... um didn't have the voice, weren't equipped with the voice that she gives to her books and to her songs. Um, she absolutely is one of the most, I guess, um, she's just so... Her? Yeah, it's... It's so hard to... <laughs> I don't know how to, I'm going to edit this. <laughs> I'm trying to think of a word to describe her um, mannerisms, but she's just so You're put together. Oh my, she like is a, indescribable. She is indescribable. <laughs> like, I, when we went to see her, I didn't realize, because I, I kind of came, I, I like woke up at the end of it, because it was like I was in some wonderful dream through the whole thing. Caitlin was in a trance. Caitlin, Caitlin wasn't knitting during this performance. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> well, okay, for reference, guys, 
Caitlin brings her knitting to movie theaters and knits in the dark without looking. So if Caitlin's not knitting, it, there's either something wrong or she's asleep. Or apparently this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, by the end of it, I didn't actually realize that somewhere in the performance, I don't remember doing this, I had pulled my knees up to my chest and was, like, cradling myself. It was intense. Hi. I was sitting right next to her, and it was just, like, a regression back into childhood of, like, tell me a story. That's amazing. You're gonna make everything okay. Like, honestly, that's the thing about her, is, yeah. like... With what what she's talking about and what she discusses, it's almost impossible for for another person. It would be impossible to come out with a sense of hope because of it's just, it's the same with Phyllis Wheatley. It's the same with Akhmadova. These people have these really and Potok. It's, these people have these really incredible abilities to be able to get, bring light to a space which is very dark and which has undergone a lot of tragedy and a lot of horror. And so, I think that's one of the main reasons that we want you to hear about these people so much is that. Our world can be very dark, and people like Joy Harjar have this way of bringing light to very dark spaces. Yeah, she made, she talked very candidly about racism that she's experienced, sexism that she's experienced, um, the rise of the Trump administration, right? And, And listening to her stories, it seemed very hopeless, but you were happy by the time that you left. You felt at peace. You felt like you were able to handle everything that the world was throwing at you. And I've only experienced that feeling of it's possible that everything becomes okay again with two people in my life. Um, and one of them is one of my mentors, the one that I went to Ghana with, um, that oh, doctor. Yes. She had a way of just, like, you could sit down in her office with tea and talk about school shootings and she would be like, it's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And 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 you believed her, and you believed crazy. Her, and you believed Joy Harjo when you interact with her, she's just so put together and in a very natural way. It's There's no act, really, with her performance. Um, it is theatrical, but it's not... She's not putting up a persona for your entertainment or for your benefit. She's putting up a facet of herself. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's incredible. But we should kind of talk more about who she is instead of how she makes people feel. Um, she was born in um, 1951. Uh, she was born in 1951 in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she was, at birth, she was given the name Joy Foster. Her father was Muscogee Creek, and her mother was mixed race Cherokee, French, and Irish. And the reason we know her as Joy Harjo is that she took her father's mother's surname of Harjo when she enrolled in the Muscogee Creek Nation at 19, because that culture is matrilineal. Most native cultures are, yes. as far as I'm aware. Yes. Um, her parents divorced when she was a child, and which was due to her father's drinking and emotional and physical abuse. He, like, and she talks a lot about that, a lot about the struggles that native populations have with alcoholism and substance abuse, because it is something that has kind of been forced to be... Not, it, it's something that's been forced upon you a lot of You remember the generational cultures. trauma thing I was talking about? Yes. It's that. Yeah. yeah. It's that. It's not that, we're not talking about it in terms of, oh, she's native, she must be a drunkard, which right. is the horrible stereotype that has come out of the situation of, we have forced these people off of land that they felt endowed to protect. They didn't 
own this land. Mm -hmm. They protected and cultivated the land that they lived on that we forced them off of. We forced them into gated communities. Dare to Uh, call them... mm Fenced communities. Is not gated. Like, it, oh, we forced fence. them onto reservations. Call yes. It, call it what it is. Call it... I was getting yeah, that. We dare to call it reservations, saying we're reserving this for you. Right. It's but not, there's a fence, and it's... Yes. We for, it's not that we forced them into gated communities. It's that... Because gated communities has a rich connotation. It's more that we forced them into a fence. Yes. We, we fenced That's, them in. We fenced yes, them in. We did. Um, to, like... A tenth, maybe, of the land that they used to live on. I say we, embracing the white side of me, not the (laughs) other side. Not the the side of me that this happened to. And then we set up boarding schools that had slogans saying, kill the Indians, save the man. We took away their language. We took away their history. We didn't give them access to jobs to save health care. The communities are taken advantage of on many levels, and for the longest time, uh, people could go on those reservations, rape and pillage, and get away with it because of tribal law not being recognized in courtrooms. Oh, they still can. Okay, some can't, but I guess most... It's not that it's not recognized still, it's that they don't care. And so there's this trauma that people who claim... Identities and people who have uh, lived in in those communities or have family that live on those communities, uh, they deal with. And so it's not that they are predisposed to be addicts or alcoholics. It's that this terrible situation, that's provided an escape. And we haven't given them help. They are predisposed because of generational trauma. It's not because of who they are. It's not because they're Native American. Right. It's because of what has happened to them. It's, it's bull, you know? And the way people think about it is different than how you should think about it when you recognize it. Um, it is also worth noting in a kind of horrible way, kind of proof that this is not a quote-unquote native problem, is that her stepfather, the man she, her mother married after her parents divorced, was equally abusive and was white and hated natives, which hmm. makes you wonder why he married one. Um, yes. And I got the bullet points of this story, a lot of it from Poetry Foundation and online sources, but I have also read, and I think you have as well, Zoe, but I've also read her memoir, um, Crazy Brave, which... I've read excerpts. I haven't yes, read the whole thing. which it's, is it's tough. I had almost the exact same experience of reading that book as I did watching her, and that I couldn't put... I, I opened it up to read two sentences one night. for this, this was the second time, too, so this wasn't even the first time. It was when I was doing it for this podcast. Meant to read two sentences. Read the whole book without moving. I remember this. Um, and then started texting G at two in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That was when I asked to borrow it. Yes. But she, she relays this story in an incredibly powerful way. But still a... I'm a very empathetic person, and I could still read it, which is impressive, because, I like, when I was talking about Heimpotok, I can't watch Schindler's List, which is partially because that's my heritage, but is also just because I have a very hard time being able to ingest harsh realities, which is true of everyone, but I can sometimes become incapable when I, like, hear about these things. But with Joy Harjo, it's somehow 
palatable without diminishing or putting a nice face on these horrible things that have happened to people, um, which I think is a really impressive skill and a really impressive way of being able to communicate. Certainly not a skill that I have. (laughs) So when she was 16, her stepfather kicked her out of of his house, really, and she moved to Santa Fe to study painting at the Institute of American Indian Arts, which at the time was was a boarding school, but it was a boarding school that was very different from the kind of classic boarding schools that you hear about that were very abusive. abusive. They were still not treated like white students would be treated. They were still treated with a level of disrespect that is honestly just pretty despicable. But the idea of this boarding school was to foster native expressions of art. And so she was allowed to... And and since then, it's been taken over by the tribe. And so now it's a much more positive place. And she actually taught there in the 70s and 80s. But when she was there, it was very much a... It was almost like going to a religious school in that the the girls and boys were segregated from each other. There were harsh curfews. Girls and boys weren't allowed to spend time with each other. Um, in many senses of the word. I went to a religious school and that wasn't true. I mean... But like a religious... The, the last school. Okay, the last part wasn't true. The rest of that was true. Not the harsh curfews. The, <laughs> yeah, the harsh curfews. The harsh curfews weren't, you weren't enforced. The only curfew that was enforced were boys weren't allowed in our rooms after 10 o'clock or whatever. Um... While she was there, she actually studied painting. She took up oral and literary arts later, but when she went to the Institute of American Indian Arts, she was studying painting. Uh, while she was there, she married a man named Phil Willman and had a son named Phil Dane, but they were later divorced. She enrolled at the University of New Mexico in their pre-med program, actually. She wanted to be a doctor, but she was inspired by Native writers and switched her major to art and back to painting, which she had studied, and then to creative writing. Which I think it's telling about who she was as a person, that her instinct was to heal in a physical sense, and then she switched over to a more spiritual and a more literary style of healing. Because, just like we said, being in the same room with her, she has a very calming, helpful... not, Not helpful, because helpful implies something other than herself. And while I think she is helping others, part of it is helping her... Uh, part of what she speaks about is her understanding herself and her being able to heal the scars that she has not... Well, no, I at this point, with talking about generational trauma, I'd say the scars that she was born with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, not just those, mm-hmm. but yes. She does this... Um, one of the things that she performed in, in the performance that Caitlin and I witnessed, she performed this uh, piece of prose where her mother passed away and she could not take care of the body like traditionally she would have been able to. The funeral directors came in to take the body and and her sister wouldn't let her have a moment alone with her mom's body. And that was very traumatic to her because she wanted to send off the body and the spirit in the way that her identity said was the right way um, in terms of the ritual itself, right? And So she's like, this really hurt me. And her way of answering that and coming to a place of healing for herself was she wrote down on paper what the ritual would have done. And she takes you through this experience. You're transported in front of your eyes. You're transported to this memory of this is how I see myself taking care of my mother. 
and I'm doing it through this writing and I'm doing it and it is okay. Okay. Because I take care of her now and I take care of her memory this way. And it was very powerful and it was very raw and honest and beautiful and musical. The way, the reverence that she encapsulated in this like what would be identified as creative nonfiction, but I think is very real in how she she interacts with it was incredible. I'd never seen any author transport herself and her audience to a personal moment and make what had happened better. Yeah. And in such a way. And she does that in all of her poems. Like <laughs> her poetry is ingrained in memory a lot of times. Like you read a poem and you know exactly where she was in this experience. And then there's this spiritual aspect that is just woven through. Either it's added when she sings it, or it's uh, added in images, or it's added in just a feeling that comes over you when you read it. It's just, I don't understand how she writes. Um, but it, it's the most unique voice I've ever experienced in literature. And I only spent a day on her in class. Yeah. It's awful. And I never, I, like I said, I didn't hear about her in a class at all. I don't think I, not for lack of trying, but I studied abroad. And so my class choices here were a bit more difficult because I basically just had to take what I could get to graduate um, when I got back from studying abroad. But I don't think, I think there was mention of a few native authors when I took American Lit just because of who I was taking the class with, because she was very much... That professor was very much attached or passionate about the idea that indigenous voices should be heard, which I really appreciate about her. But that was still like pre-19th century writing, not current modern native writing, which I think is one of the important things to think about with Joey Harjo and experience about any 20th or even 21st century indigenous poets is that a lot of the time American and really, I think Australian and New Zealand or uh, any culture where an indigenous population has been pushed out for a colonial population to come in, they those cultures like to pretend that the people that they pushed out are no longer here. Uh, yeah. And so... And Joy Harjo is very much alive, mm -hmm. um, which makes this episode so a little weird. So am I. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In terms of, like, the cultures being... Yes, the cultures are, yeah. are very, very strong, very rooted, very living, but the, the poet that we're talking about hasn't finished creating. Yes. Yeah, and the others we've talked about, Phyllis Wheatley was from the 1700s, mm -hmm. Potok. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize he was dead already. but He's I, very yes. recently dead. Yeah. Okay, I figured. The thing about that is, though, because I was thinking about that, because I do want this podcast, and I think a lot of us wanted this podcast to be talking specifically about works that exist outside of the canon but should be considered important to learn. And I think even today talking about, there is a, even if it hasn't been codified, codified in the way that the classic Western canon has, there is a way of that people look at modern work and say, this is literary and this is not. And there is a kind of, there is more a sense towards, oh, hey, let's feature these quote unquote exotic authors and writers, but they tend to be featured for like 
a, a few weeks fetishization or just featured for a few weeks or a few months when they're on a best bestseller list and then you forget about them and you don't learn or about only them. during their history month quote unquote which their history is constant they need to be learned about every single month of the year shout out to black history month which is very very important but we should learn about black authors for and 12 months. months it is this, this month, month right now and we're talking about a native author. We will talk about a black author soon, I promise. We started with a black author. We did. We started. We will be talking about plenty we more sh- black authors. We yes. should next year do, because we didn't plan this well this year, but we should next year release the four weeks that we have Black History Month release. Mm-hmm. Because, like, while it should be learned about all year and we're going to, we should do four black authors during Black History Month. With that note that Caitlin um, left us on, uh, we will find that place <laughs> yeah that's um, good, yeah. uh we will continue with joy harjo next week please 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 go out look at some of her performances absolutely uh she's she, there's so many videos there's so many interviews with her about uh her works you should read her read or watch her interviews her sense of humor is amazing She's a phenomenal person, and uh, we're going to get back into her in a week and, and talk about how she sees uh, herself in, in the literary context, um, which is super awesome that we actually get to hear her voice and not project our opinions as mm-hmm. much as we've had to with authors before. Uh-huh. Okay. Cannon Fire was created by Caitlin, Zoe, and G. The Cannon Fire is edited by me. Uh, we would like to thank Alan Hardison for writing and recording our theme song. We'd like to thank Britton Girl for drawing our banner art and sending that over to us. If you want to contact us, you can find us at cannonfirepodcast.com. There is a contact us option there. You can also email us at cannonfirepodcast at gmail.com. And if you want to find us somewhere else, you can find us on Twitter at Cannon Fire Pod. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Cannon Fire Podcast. And I think that's it. So just remember, Western grammar is a white colonial construct, and we will see you next week for more Joy Harjo. Bye. 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 Bye.